This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Good evening, everybody. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 312, recorded Monday, the 13th of March, 2017. Jason, how's it going tonight? Uh, it's going okay. My stupid brain told me for about 10 minutes today, or 10 minutes, about 30 seconds, that it was Friday, <laughs> and I believed it. If you thought for 10 minutes it was Friday, that would have been <laughs> kind of concerning. That's more than your stupid brain lying to you. That's, uh, that's yeah, that's concerning. Yeah, it was about 30 seconds my brain said, oh, it's Friday, thank God. Yeah. No, you dumbass. It's only Monday. It's virtually the opposite of Friday. It's Monday. So uh, happy Monday to you. Uh, I don't know if it's snowing where you are, but it started snowing here. And apparently by the end of tomorrow, we're going to have, what is it? Something like 10 inches of snow on the ground. Oh, come on. Really? I'm not kidding. Oh, man. I know you haven't left your basement in about the last 12 hours, but if you had- No, I was just out there getting a coffee from Tim Hortons and- uh, (laughs) Yeah, there was a little, you know, just a smattering of snow, just, you know, a light dusting on everything, but 10 inches? Something like that, yeah, almost. <sighs> 10 inches March, of snow. man. I know, it's March. I felt like spring was here a couple of weeks ago, but no, now the clocks have changed and Mother Nature's like, screw you guys, I'll, you can have some extra light in the evening, but I'm going to give you 10 inches of snow, so. Okay. Good times. Why does anyone live in this part of the world? I do not know sometimes. <sighs> it's my parents' fault. Yeah, I'm going to blame their, your parents too. Okay. <laughs> uh, anyhow, let's get into the main event here. We are, of course, recording tonight in order to recap Season 7, Episode 13. Hey, Chris and Jason. This is Lee from St. Catharines, and I have a title read. Bury me here. And I just pissed myself. Bury me here. Thank you, Lee in St. Catharines and Sarah in West Middlesex, Pennsylvania. Sarah's a Patreon supporter too, which is very, very cool. Awesome. So those were our title reads, the al- the album. The episode is called Bury Me Here. And uh, one other thing Sarah said is in her email when she sent that file in is that she had a bad head cold. So she thought that was the perfect time to record a title read for us. Good thinking, good thinking. You know, if you're if you sound all phlegmy and, and uh, congested, then why not speak into a speak into a microphone and let us know the title? Yeah, absolutely. So cold open this week, Jason. Ezekiel and the Kingdom—they're loading a truck with what looks like a single melon. That's yep. it. <laughs> a load of melon. The funny thing is, they tied that crate down into the middle of the back of that truck, so it would not move. Well, I don't think that's all that funny, to be honest. You don't want it to roll around and bruise your melon. Yeah, but why the middle of the truck? I know, they could have tied it against one side. Or, didn't they have, didn't or, they have like six people in the back of the trucks? Like somebody hang on to the fucking melon. Yeah, I was <laughs> just going to say, maybe someone could just hold the melon, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. It's It made for a more dramatic 40 seconds of cold open to tie that thing down <laughs> yeah. and make sure that melon wasn't going to roll away. Well, it made us think that uh, that it was, you know, part of the tribute that they have to give, but there was only a single melon But that single melon was very, very important. Well, it is. If you are only going to deliver one melon, that better be the best friggin' cantaloupe, like, ever produced. 
It's true. So, anyways, according to the Walking Dead wiki, this is the shortest cold open this, the show has ever had. Ah. At just 40 seconds, maybe not even. So, so that's it. We come out of that, go into the opening credits, and we come back to a black screen, but we can kind of hear some breathing. And it turns out it's Carol waking up in the middle of the night. She lights up a lantern and she lies there for a few seconds, then gets up, lights a cigarette and um, gets up off the bed. And as we, as the scene ends, we hear her say, God damn it. Yeah. So, you know, what, if it was the end of the world, I'd start smoking again. Because why not, right? Why the hell not? I, I really would. No, I know you would. I know it did. Sometimes I think it wouldn't take the end of the world to get you to start smoking again, but uh, the end of the world's a pretty good reason. Yeah, I know I totally do it. All right. Uh, so when she says "God damn it," what's she referring to? Uh, I think it has to do with something that uh, when Daryl came over, her conversation with Daryl, I, I really uh, thought that it was her decision of uh, being isolated from the rest of reality uh, that she's. Basically, like, damn it, I can't be isolated forever. I got to do this stupid thing. Basically, she's reconsidering her choice to stay out there by herself. Yeah. And she's saying, so, yeah. Usually when that happens to me, it's work-related. Like, I forgot to do something. It's like, ah, damn it. Now I got to contact that guy about that thing, and I don't want to do that. I should do that now. <laughs> yeah. <Frick. laughs> yeah. No, I can see that. And Carol's making, going through that same mental process. She's realizing that... Maybe I can't just stay here all on my own. There are people out there. They may need my help. And and I'm not sure everyone is being 100% honest with me. So, God damn it, I'm going to get up and I'm going to trudge into the kingdom and find out what's really going on. Yeah, maybe she forgot to check her emails or do her timesheet or something. <laughs> she realized she hasn't done her taxes in three years. So she's like, damn <laughs> it. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> IRS is on my ass. <laughs> well... She, uh, we go into the kingdom and, uh, Morgan is there and he's training Henry. Now, Henry is the little kid, Benjamin's little brother. And I found out through some, um, expert searching on the internet that Henry is played by a guy named Mason Lintz. And he's actually, uh, Madison Lintz's brother, real life brother, who of course oh. played Sophia way back in the day. Wasn't that interesting? Isn't that nice? It's all in the family here. I had no idea until I looked him up. Wow. So just a little bit of uh, trivia there for anyone who wants to know. Let's uh, hope he's safe from uh, from Carol. Yeah, well, he's he's young and Carol is back on duty, so I'm not so sure he is, but we'll see. Uh, Benjamin, his brother, his older brother, is sort of watching them from behind. And Morgan suggests to Henry, Henry that he really wants to be like his brother. That's why he's training. That's why he wants to learn some of these skills, which is cool. You know, he aspires to be super cool like his older brother. Mm -hmm. for a little while now we see carol leaving her house on the way to the kingdom she chops a zombie on the way but interestingly she doesn't kill it she just chops it it goes down and she walks away while it's still you know reaching for her on the ground yeah so why wouldn't she yeah, kill she, it uh because the script said not to and that'll become more important in a little while i okay but that's yeah but outside of that i mean why not just I, I don't know why it? There's no reason why she's killing every other zombie. She goes out of her way to kill other zombies with a sign a little bit later. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, there's no reason why she wouldn't kill that zombie. I, I thought it was strange. I thought it was strange. I mean, it, it is dead later, but, uh, she leaves it for now. She gets to the gate of the kingdom. Now there are five zombies outside the gate 
and she kills them in kind of an interesting way. She gets a street sign, yeah, climbs up a tree, uh-huh. and touches l- them on the head with the sign. That's l- right. Lures them over and jabs <laughs> that sign through each of their head as they come at her. I'm not so sure. I wouldn't go as far as to say jab because those zombies just kind of walked into that sign, the end of that sign, and they uh, got their brains squished out by uh, you know bumping their heads ever so slightly. It did seem a little easy. You're right, but I, it didn't really bother me that much. I mean, I know if I walked into a sign like that, it would probably hurt. I'd probably cut my forehead, but I don't it, think well, it you would... might have a red mark there for a day or so. It, you might. It wouldn't go through my skull, though. No, it now, wouldn't. We've established these guys have butter skulls or Nerf football heads, and so it doesn't take a lot. And if they're deteriorating, they've been hanging around for years, you know, maybe it would go through a little bit. If I bumped that sign with a balloon, it would not pop. Maybe. Maybe, maybe not. (laughs) I don't know. Well, anyways, she takes them out, so there's five zombies that are now dead, and Ben and a few other people from the kingdom let her into the kingdom, and she asks where Morgan is, coming yeah. to see the Morgan man. So she goes to Morgan, and she asks why Jesus brought everybody to the kingdom. He says that he wanted to see if they could all work together. So he's not really lying to her, but he's definitely giving her a partial truth. Mm-hmm. It's not is, really a lie if you uh, tell enough of the truth to imply the lie. That's right. Uh, or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, he's he's not really lying to her. He's just saying they wanted to work together. And he wanted to introduce, Jesus wanted to introduce everybody. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. She asks him about what Daryl told her. Uh, and Morgan says that, you know, you really have to talk to him about that. That's not my place to get in the middle of things. And he reminds her that he kept Carol's secret about being hidden. You know, he did what she asked. He's he's sort of lived up to his promises here. And then he offers to go to Alexandria with her, but he also questions whether she actually sort of found what she wanted by staying hidden, which is kind of the question of this, one of the questions of this, this episode, I think. Yeah. So then Carol is leaving and uh, Ben wants to walk her back to the house. He says that he needs to learn from her. Uh, and he offers to miss today's meeting with the saviors and to go back to her house and learn some stuff from her. Mm, very close. Very close. It probably would have been the right decision, but how could they have known at that time? He says he was impressed with how she killed five zombies on the way in uh, to the kingdom, but Carol says, nope, she declines. I'm good on my own. So then she's on her way back and she comes across the zombie that she didn't kill, who is now dead. That's right. Has a big old gaping wound in the middle of his forehead. Right. He's on the ground. He's definitely dead. The wound is bigger. She kind of stands there for a minute, looks around, doesn't see anybody, so goes on her way. But what we find out is that Richard is off in the shadows watching her, and uh, he's off to the side. So it must have been Richard that killed that zombie. Yeah, well, that's what I assumed. But so, so what was the point? To, to all this, just to make Carol pause and wonder who did it? Was there a story point to this? I don't know what the point is. I, I never fe- thought of it in terms of what the hell was the point of that. I, I feel like it's a minor thing, and I don't want to pick this nit too much, right? It's, you know, she didn't kill it, whatever. When she came back, she it was dead, and we find out that Richard was there. I mean, we could have learned all those things 
anyways, if you know what I mean. Like, we didn't really need Carol on the way back to transition into what Richard was doing there, I don't think. Although, yeah. it kind of did tie things together a little bit, but anyways, it's it's a small thing, but it stuck out to me. It was really one of the only problems that stuck out to me with this episode, So, and it's a very minor one, so whatever. Uh, but anyways, what's Richard doing? He's around the back of a building, and he's got his daughter Katie's backpack, which he seems to bury. Um, although what he's actually doing is digging a grave and the dirt that he's taking out of the hole, he throws on top of the backpack. Right. All right. So back in the kingdom, people are going about their business. Ezekiel is looking on from a balcony and then Nabila, who is a new character, approaches him to tell him that their crops are infected with weevils and they have to burn up most of the royal garden to get rid of them. Oh, is that really necessary? If you've had a garden and maybe had weevils? No, I have a backyard and uh, there's plants growing in it, but I hesitate <laughs> to call it a garden. <laughs> but I've never had an insect infestation, no. There's got to be a better way to deal with a garden full of weevils than burning the thing to the ground. Well, it, there could be. I mean, I don't know. But the thing I would worry about, and, and Nabila said this, she said, we have to take care of this before it spreads to the main crops. So I think they were taking drastic action to make sure that they got them all. Whether they could have right. done something else or not, I think this was the only way to guarantee that the weevils were gone. Now, I do generally applaud the idea of, if there's a problem, burn the place to the ground. <laughs> I, you know, I applaud that kind of action, sure. but uh, it seems a little drastic for uh, to do that to a garden. Well, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like, they didn't want to do something that might work and risk contaminating all of their crops. They wanted to do something that would work for sure and saving the rest of the crops. What about a weevil wall? Put Just like build a weevil wall so that the weevils can't get over into the main crops. Or uh, some sort of weevil whacker? Uh, well, you know, you could uh, designate someone to be a weevil whacker. Uh -huh. What about dogs? You know, do dogs eat weevils? I don't know. The problem what is- What the hell is a weevil? Dogs probably eat vegetables too <laughs> that you're growing. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know any dog that would eat a vegetable. Really? I've seen dogs cheese. eat Cheese. Dogs eat cheese. Oh, and dogs love stuff. cheese. Yeah. What's a weevil? It's a little insect. Is uh, it? Yeah. It's a, it's an insect that I guess eats the, probably eats the leaves of the plants or something like that. Okay. I've, to be honest, I don't even know if we have weevils up here in the far north where it's minus 15 and 10 inches of snow in frickin' March, but Maybe we you do. Sure, it's not some kind of rodent. No, it's a, it's a, it's an insect. I'm a hundred percent sure. Okay. And it, I, I, yeah, but I guess it infects your plants and probably just takes them over, or it eats the leaves so they don't grow. I, I don't know what it does exactly, but it sounds bad if they have to burn down the whole garden. It does. It does sound bad, right? So Nabila, uh, she has a line here, and she says regarding the weevils and the crops she says you can tear it all down burn it you can throw it all away but if you want you can grow it all back and i think that is one of those lines you know that applies to the entire episode you can she's trying to say you have to take some risks and if it doesn't go your way you can rebuild you can and i think that's one of the things that ezekiel needed to hear just get him at least thinking about joining the fight, joining Rick's team. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, Nabila was really afraid of um, Shiva, mm -hmm. who was in this scene, the tiger. And I thought that was kind of kind of entertaining a little bit. Inappropriate. I, Holy a, shit, the tiger. Yeah, I don't think I would go near that thing. I'd be like, oh, tiger. 
I'm staying. Yeah, I, I think that there's there's pretty much a very low level, uh, you know, instinctual thing in my brain that if I was uh, stepped onto some kind of space that had me and a tiger with no leash or barriers or anything to separate, physically separate me from the tiger, uh, I think my entire being would just like, I would, I would just dump and run. And what I mean by dump and run is probably pretty obvious, but it's, you know, it's the same thing that the, uh, that the Imperial Star Destroyer does before it takes off It dumps its garbage and then jumps into light speed. Right. And that's how the Millennium Falcon got away. That's exactly what I would do. I was just like, I'd get rid of everything that wasn't absolutely necessary for flight. And then I would take flight. <laughs> you'd want to be as light as possible and you'd be out of there. I can see that. I I wouldn't want to be in the same room as a tiger that yeah. was not chained up in some way. It would be frightening. And I know Ezekiel's got this tiger trained, but I'm sorry. It's a yeah. wild animal. It might also even give the tiger uh, or whatever animal that I was up against just a half a second of pause where it would just go, ooh, <laughs> and that would give me that extra little advantage to get away. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, probably still would get eaten by the tiger, but you know. Yeah, okay. So, but... Just so you know, that's the plan. You know, okay. that that's that's what my brain would tell me to do. My stupid thinking it's Friday brain would tell me to just dump and run. So there's no way I would get anywhere near as close to the tiger as she did in that situation. I'd right. be like, I'd look out the door. Like every time I saw King Ezekiel, I'd be like, okay, is the tiger there? Because yes, if it it's is there, I'd be um, like, ah, excuse me. I'm going the other <laughs> From way. From around the corner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well... The tiger, I thought, looked pretty good in this scene. It did, yeah. I, I was okay with it. It's amazing how decent, I know not everyone thinks the tiger looks amazing, but I think the tiger generally looks pretty good uh, as compared to the deer last week, which was the uh, one of the worst effects we've ever seen on TV. Absolutely. Okay, so Ben comes into Morgan's room to see him before they leave for their meeting with the saviors, and he thanks him for lending his Aikido book and then gives him kind of a weird painting for his wall as a gift that he says he found on a run at some place. I found this garbage for you. You can hang it in your room. Thank you. Uh, it looks much better than that nail. Well, it does look better than a nail. I mean, you, beggars can't be choosers, man. You gotta, if you want to have nice things on your wall in the zombie apocalypse, you just got to get what you can take. Take what you can get. Or go to the Smithsonian. I bet you, like, they're, get, they're close to Washington, D.C., right? They are. I'd be I'd be doing what the last man on earth did. I'd be going there and getting like dinosaur bones and uh, the tent from Mash and stuff. Oh man, that would be cool. You could in Last Man on Earth, you just go get anything you want. Yeah. You he brought home like the dinosaur head and the uh, the carpet from the Oval Office. Yeah. Might move into the Oval Office for a while, actually. <laughs> They're pretty probably a pretty secure building overall. It's not a bad idea. Even with nobody there, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that the 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 windows are bulletproof and are probably uh, you know guarded against not guarded but uh, hardened against like uh, mob attacks and stuff. There's <laughs> there's weapons in there somewhere, betcha. Oh yeah, I'm sure there are. All right, well, plan A when the zombie apocalypse hits is uh, make a run for the prime minister's house. <laughs> oh, I don't know about the prime minister's house. I'd go to the White House. You know, swing by the Smithsonian along the way. Sure. I went by 10 Downing Street when I was in London. You can't get anywhere near it. No, you can't. It's a big, like the street is there and there's a big gate to get 
onto the street even, and then it's down the street a little bit. Yeah. It's not like in the movies where it feels like people could just, just walk in by the door all the time. Well, yeah. I mean, a lot of TV and movies just, you know, they swing by 10 Downing Street and distract the guard outside and make fun of him and stuff. I've seen comedies do that. And I never believed that you could get anywhere near close to the uh, the prime minister's house. You'd like get that. shot. I don't know, uh, shot. What the, tackled. The, yes. No, this gate was guarded by multiple police with very large military weapons. Yeah, that's a deterrent. I don't think they'd actually shoot you, depending on what you're doing. If you're running through there and hop the gate, like jump over the gate like Superman, and then get in there and start throwing Molotov cocktails, yeah, they're going to shoot you. But if you're a crazy guy naked that climbs over the fence and starts streaking towards uh, the front of the house, they're not going to shoot you. They're going to run after you and tackle you, and then they're going to drag you along the ground, giving you skid marks, and they'll throw you in jail for 100 years, but I don't think they'll shoot you. I think you underestimate what they would do to a naked guy, and there's no, the, the gate is like 18, 25 feet high. There's no way you could get over it, but if you could somehow get through, run by naked, I, I'd be worried about getting shot. How far away are the bars? The bars, you could, could you grease up and like fit through? No, I don't think so. I know I couldn't, but could someone? <laughs> well, you definitely know. I, I I don't think so. You'd have to be pretty skinny. Anyways, this has gone off the rails. Um, where were we? So Tiger. So no, he brings the funny painting. Uh, ben oh, yeah, brings right. the painting to Morgan, and Morgan thanks him, puts it on the wall, and then they're outside. They're packing up the rest of the melons in the truck. Now here they're packing a whole bunch of melons in the truck. We don't. Yeah, all we don't, twelve of them. We don't know why there why there was just one earlier. Uh, and Richard is there and he tells Morgan about having the perfect family. He talks about his wife and daughter before the outbreak. And, you know, he tells them a story about how, uh, how he lost them, how they were living in a community and his wife, I think died in a fire. And then he had to flee with his daughter. And after a few days of no food, and no sleep, he eventually lost her too. Um, and ultimately he tells Morgan that he, uh, is wrong about killing or not killing. And he says the day will come though, when, you know, he'll no longer be able to be good, so to speak, and not kill anybody. Little, little does he know it's coming sooner than we think. Yeah. So they're on their way to their meeting with the saviors and they come across a row of shopping carts blocking the road in the shape of an arrow. Yeah. So it's like, Hey guys, look over here. Um, they all get out to investigate and Richard is directing everybody. And I thought they seemed very well organized in this scene. Like he's, he's giving them commands, like, you know, condense around the King, like, you know, protect the royalty, stuff like that. Yep. And keep your weapons up and, and just be alert. And I thought it was pretty well executed. I don't know. You may feel differently, but it seemed like they knew what they were doing to me. It was pretty good. It looked like it was practiced. Right. This wasn't the first time they'd done this sort of thing. So that's good. Um, but they all, they look around a little bit and eventually they find this open grave beside a building with a sign that says, bury me here. And they talk briefly about how this world can drive a person mad. So Jason, let me ask you a question. Did you put two and two together and realize this was the grave that Richard was digging earlier on in the episode? Because... I'm an idiot and I didn't put it together at this point. Right? I I wasn't sure when he was burying the backpack earlier that he was actually digging a grave. I thought maybe he was just burying the backpack. I kind of All right, so I put together that 
this was the same spot that Carol saw the uh, the zombie that was killed, right? And right. that uh, that he was there and digging this. And I thought uh, he did all this, like he put all this together. But I didn't assume that the grave was for him. Right. I thought it was an elaborate thing to bury somebody else. Okay. And was trying to misdirect. I didn't know that it, he was doing it for him, but I did know, I did assume that it, he set this up. This okay, so you, you know it was his doing, but you just didn't fully understand the plan yet. Yeah, I didn't know why. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, um, so they talk about this driving, the world can drive a person mad, and then uh, I guess they go on their way. Next shot is the saviors waiting for them to arrive. And they do, of course, they pull up. Gavin comments on them being late. And he says things like, all this tension they've had lately has got to stop. So things haven't been as smooth sailing between these two groups in the last little while. And Gavin, the savior's leader, goes to inspect the melons and he finds them one short. They have 11 instead of 12. He, because of this, he asks to take their guns, which... um, they all raise their weapons at first, but eventually they do surrender their guns over to the saviors. And Gavin says he needs to punish them, which myself and I think everybody assumed meant they were going to kill somebody. It's kind of what the saviors do. They, they kill people. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's no, uh, there's no middle ground. It's either you are do the right thing or somebody dies. Right. Although it turns out there is sort of a middle ground here because Jared, the long-haired dude who's always been uh, a prick to Richard, he points his gun right at Richard. Richard basically tells him to do it. You know, he's like, fine, kill me, whatever you need to do. But instead, Jared shoots Ben in the leg, not killing him instantly, just wounding him pretty seriously. Yep. Now there's a commercial break in between. We see the gun move and fire. Commercial break, come back. We hear the same sound of the gun firing and we find out it was Ben shot in the leg. Um, They start panicking because they need to get Ben back and treated because he's bleeding profusely. And Gavin says that they bring one melon tomorrow. No more, no less. They have to make good on their... uh, Delivery, basically. So in a panic, they load Ben into the truck and they head for Carol's house, where I think Morgan says there are lots of medical supplies. Yeah. Because it's closer, right? We know that Carol was walking this way when uh, she was on her way home. Right. Yeah, it's, it's closer. So they figure they'll get him there as quick as they can to try to save his life. So we cut to Carol's place. They skid to a stop and they take Ben inside, but... There's not a lot he can do. He's been bleeding profusely for a little while, and he dies on the table. He dies. Ben, poor Ben, all this progress he's made, and now he's dead. And I got to say, Richard looked especially upset in this scene. He did. You know, more so than he might if it was just some other regular person who had got shot in the leg and didn't survive. Um, Morgan leaves he goes outside he goes back to the location um where the shopping carts were and where that grave is they found and he appears to start losing it a little bit we've got crazy morgan coming back a little Mm -hmm. bit in this scene we see flashes from previous episodes like clear we see flashbacks really quick to Dwayne, his son and his wife 
Uh, we see a scene of him cutting, trying to cut his own wrists. So he's kind of flashing back through everything that's happened to him, right? And all those emotions are coming back to him, right? And I think it's affecting him in a, in a great deal. Eventually, he's screaming out, and he goes to take his frustrations out on a nearby bucket, and he kicks it over, <laughs> which reveals a the missing 12th cantaloupe under the yep. bucket. Until I saw the cantaloupe, I thought that this whole uh, crescendo of going crazy and seeing things and almost cutting his wrist all culminated in him kicking this plastic thing. And I was just like, oh, he's kicking it. Wait, uh, what? <laughs> like, Why did the music stop when he kicked it? Why is this the, the pinnacle of him going crazy? Until I saw the cantaloupe, it's like, oh, okay. Uh, we're getting Morgan you know, coming back to reality and figuring shit out instead of just being upset. It all makes sense now, right? You kick over a bucket, you see a cantaloupe and all the pieces fall into place. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, the, the only thing I thought about this scene is, you know, I, obviously he's been through a traumatic experience just now, but this is far from the most probably traumatic thing he's ever seen. And this is, for some reason, what pushed him over the edge. And it all felt like it was happening a little quickly. You know, Ben dies, Morgan goes back out to the road, and immediately he's got all this going on in his head and uh, is having trouble dealing with it. It felt like a little fast, but at the same time, I don't think I'd really want them to drag it out too long. And the whole point of it was to have Morgan just questioning his whole belief system right now and ultimately kick over the bucket and reveal that cantaloupe. So yeah, it worked. It worked. He of course realizes that Richard sabotaged them. So Richard is up to something. Um, we cut straight back to the kingdom. I guess everyone is back now and Morgan busts into Richard's room with the bucket, throws it down on the floor and without saying a word in this whole scene, Basically, Morgan demands that Richard explain himself. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was incredible, actually, how he walked in there, threw the bucket down, and then Richard did all the talking. Well, Richard, you know, he's obviously upset, and he wants to confess. Like, he, he, uh, this this is eating him alive, so he needed to get this off his chest. So uh, he just, you know, spilled his guts to Morgan. Pretty much. He explains that he was expecting Gavin to kill him because, you know, he already has this uh, rough, difficult relationship with this guy. And he says, Richard says he wanted to sacrifice his own life to show Ezekiel and the kingdom basically what they needed to do to, or uh, to join the fight, to convince Ezekiel to get in on this deal. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, and this is where he tells the story about how he lost his wife and daughter. For some reason, I thought it came earlier in the episode, but this is actually where he talks about, you know, them dying in the fire and fleeing and dying in the forest and stuff like that. Pretty emotional scene for him. Yep. Um, I don't know why I thought that came earlier. That's just me making bad notes. Anyways, sorry. He uh, he says now, though, they, they can use what happened. This He says this will show the saviors that they know, you know what to do and they'll gain their trust back. And then once they have it is when they can attack them and kill them and, and take them out. He also says that he will talk to Ezekiel and admit what he did and then, you know, live the rest of his life making up for it, basically. Right. Um, Carl Mackinnon, the guy who plays Richard, man, what a great job I thought he did in this scene. He did. He did a very good job. Uh, you know, the, the whole monologue, like I said, was delivered by him. Everything about his family, 
you know, I don't really do it justice kind of recounting it here, but he did a, he did a fine job. It was one of my favorite scenes in the, in the episode. And then what followed it, I thought was really good too, because we get a, a brief montage of sort of the things that are going on over the, over the overnight, basically in the kingdom, we've got Morgan sort of sitting in his room thinking about things. We see uh, Ezekiel telling Henry what happened and it's all done to music, right? It's not actual dialogue or anything, but I thought it was really well handled and, and, uh, especially poignant, I think. So great job there. And then we're back to the cold open scene one loading one single melon in the truck, because now we know they actually do have to deliver one melon to the saviors. One honored melon. That's right. And it better not be bruised. So... Nobody that. said anything about bruised. Yeah, but you don't want to give bruised fruit to the saviors. Tie that I thing don't down. Oh, you can. They give over uh, pigs that are filled with uh, zombie zombies. Uh, so why not have a you know a sh- the shittiest ass melon you could find in the whole melon patch? You know, I'm just I I see what you're saying, but I'm not so sure. After all this that's happened, the best solution would be to show up with like a bruised, half rotted melon and say, "Here you go. There's number twelve. Maybe they could all piss on the melon. <laughs> And then let, wait for it to dry. Like, don't go. wipe it off. Just wait for it to dry. So it's a pea-coated melon. Yeah, it's a pea melon. Yeah. Gross. There's all kinds of stuff they could have done. Of course. And maybe they did, but we just saw them loading that melon in. Yeah. In the most delicate way. Well, they, uh, they arrive back at their meeting with the saviors, and Morgan asks... Richard, before they get there, before the saviors get there, Morgan asks Richard if he told him, meaning did he talk to Ezekiel? And he says they'll talk about it when they get back. And then Morgan gathers his staff and Ben's, which are still there on the ground. Mm -hmm. So they left them there before when they hurried off to try to save Ben's life. So Morgan has his weapon back now, which is awesome. It is. And an extra. And an extra. He could do double staff now. Can you do that? Yeah. Yeah, uh, staffs akimbo. I don't know if you could do that. That's what they say in video games with guns, so I don't know. Maybe you can do double staff. <laughs> Maybe. The saviors pull up, and Gavin, the leader, gets out. He asks about Ben, and then, of course, nobody really says anyone, so he realizes that Ben didn't make it, and he turns to Jared, and he tells him to walk back uh, and threatens to kill Jared if he says one word or gives a funny look. And he did give a funny look. He did. I was hoping he'd kill him, to be honest. He, uh, I'm surprised that he gave a funny look. I guess he knew exactly what he could get away with. He didn't give a funny look to uh, to the kingdom people, but he gave uh, gave a funny look anyway. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I'd have shot him. I'd have shot him right in the face. Right well, in his stupid face. If there's anybody that deserves to get shot in the stupid face, it's that guy. Like, he's such an ass hat. You know, I just... I, I hate that guy. And it's funny that I hate some of Negan's men more than I hate Negan at this point. Well, yeah, that is funny. <laughs> I, I don't know. I guess maybe we've seen more of them lately, but uh, yeah, I was hoping that uh, that he uh, Gavin would just turn around and shoot him. But anyways, he makes him walk home, which I do think makes Gavin an interesting character. He's this guy who seems pretty loyal to Negan, but also... Doesn't seem like he cares that much about what he's doing, but then he does things like this, making, you know, punishing guys for being mean to the the supposed enemy. So he's an interesting dude. I wonder if he's going to play a bigger role. 
Uh, I hope so. Me too. I kind of like the guy. It's yeah. funny how much I can enjoy uh, Gavin, but hate Jared. They're it's true. Different guys. Um, Richard uh, walks forward with the melon. He gives it to Gavin and he starts to say, you know, how they understand what's going on and they'll do better and stuff like that. But Morgan kind of out of nowhere rushes forward, attacks Richard, knocks him to the ground, beats him up and strangles him to death right in front of everybody. And bashes his head against the ground. Like there was, yeah. and there was crunching noises, like uh, breaking the bones in his neck, kind of crushing his windpipe. It was, it was really, uh, it didn't show anything really nasty, but it sure sounded bad. It did. It sounded bad. But were you, how surprised were you when Morgan, like, first of all, attacked him and then actually killed him? I was really surprised. Me too. Morgan's like a don't kill anybody kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, I thought maybe, you know, maybe he'd attack him, he'd beat him up, and then he'd explain what was going on, but he'd be alive. No, he took him right out, and he is dead. I am, I was, I was surprised and kind of excited. He's he's not saving anybody's life. He's not defending himself. This is a cold-blooded murder. Pretty much. Well, not cold-blooded, but murder. Yeah, definitely. But Morgan jumps up and he he admits to everyone that Richard set this all up with the melon and all that kind of stuff. And he says that he wanted to get something started between the kingdom and the saviors. And then he goes on to explain to Gavin that, you know, the kingdom does in fact understand what they need to do. And Richard was sort of acting as a, as a lone wolf. Um, so the whole thing that Richard was kind of trying to do has sort of happened anyway but Richard had to be the one to die well as he wanted but unfortunately Ben had to die as well well that's the genius of Morgan right that's you know Morgan's he look he's going crazy and yep. he's making rash decisions and he's doing things out of uh, passion but there's a plan involved too right so yeah. that's I think he's kind of skirting the uh, the crazy uh, you know, along the, along one side of the fence and uh, a logical plan along the other side of the fence. And it's hard to tell what side of the fence he's on at any given time. But I think he is going a little loopy, but he's also doing this in order to achieve uh, a very specific logical goal. Right. When after his conversation in, in Richard's room with Richard, you know, they, Richard explained the original plan to him, said someone had to die. I tried to make it me. But it was Ben. I'm sorry about that. But then Morgan sits up all night thinking, okay, I think he's got a point. This could have worked. Maybe this is what we should have done. But, you know, things have gone off the rails here and it's not going to work unless somebody else dies. And since this was Richard's idea anyways, maybe this is how I can make this plan still work. Yeah. So it's pretty genius, actually. Um, anyways, the saviors leave and Morgan continues to explain what happened now to Ezekiel and everybody left. And then he mixes up Ben and Dwayne's name, his son, yes, Dwayne. He does. See, this is the crazy, this is the crazy side of the fence. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all a little bit muddled in his brain, but at the same time, he sort of knows what he's doing and what has to happen. Yeah. Uh, this confuses, it, sorry. No, I was just, I was thinking that, uh, if they made Gavin walk home, 
Isn't he like a prime target? What shouldn't they go after him and just kind of kidnap him and then kill him and make it look like he just disappeared or got attacked by zombies or do something to get rid of that fucker? Because he's yeah. all by himself right now. I guess, unless they picked him up on the way, because they didn't really leave that. Like, he might have still been in the parking lot. Like, it didn't seem like that long. Well, no, I think his punishment for killing that kid was to walk home. You know, and there's perils. This is a zombie apocalypse. There's perils out there. So if he uh, if he went missing and then showed up later somewhere just walking around as a zombie, who's going to question it? He's like, oh, he was walking home. He got into trouble. He turned into a zombie, whatever. I think this is their uh, their opportunity to uh, to get rid of that guy. Or take a hostage. Take it. No. Or take him hostage or just, get, you know, bury him in a hole up to his neck and then run over him with a truck or something. <laughs> Oh my God. I think burying him in a hole up to his neck and just leaving him there would probably be just as bad. I'm kind of disturbed that that came out of my brain. Seriously, man. <laughs> How do you come up with that stuff? I don't know. Well, uh, so they all pile in the, uh, kingdom people. I mean, they leave except for Morgan who puts a knife in Richard's head and then Morgan drags Richard back to his grave and as he's burying him, he discovers Katie's backpack in the dirt. And then I think reburies it. I guess he reburied it on top of Richard. Sort of. Yeah, he put it with Richard. Yeah. That's, I think that was the whole point was that, you know, bury me here. And when you're in the process of burying me, you find this backpack and, you know, bury me with it. Can be with my daughter's backpack. Yeah. Um. Now, as Morgan is leaving, there are a bunch of zombies on the road. He takes them all out quite expertly, if I must say. Yep, expert zombie clearer, that guy. He goes to see Carol. He tells her he killed Richard, which I think was one of my favorite scenes in the episode. She opens the door and she's like, what happened to you? And just kind of nonchalantly, he says, I killed Richard today. <laughs> you right. know, uh, I like that. And then he also tells her, of course, what happened in Alexandria with uh, um, Abraham and Glenn and he says that Rick wants to fight back. Carol, of course, starts crying as, as he's speaking. And uh, so now Carol knows. She knows essentially everything that's happened. And this has got her on her horse again. Yep. So she's, uh, she's coming out of, the, uh, out of retirement. She totally is. As Morgan is going, he says he's going to kill them all one by one. Now, Jason, is he referring to the Walkers or the Saviors? I'm not sure he knows because, you, you know, his whole thing is to clear and to kill all the zombies. But so he could very well mean that because we saw flashbacks to, uh, to that kind of stuff. Yeah. But he could very well mean the saviors, but you know how he gets mixed up. So he could mean both. He could mean either. I don't know. Well, yeah, I thought at my first watch through, I thought, it's he he meant I'm gonna go kill all the saviors, but I'm not sure that's the case. I think maybe this is Morgan. He's he wanted to clear, remember? He wanted to clear the zombies. So I think maybe he's going back to that. He's just gonna go out, roam the countryside, kill every zombie he comes across, and slowly clear the earth. Yeah. Uh but Carol says, No, no, you can't do that. And then she says to him something a little cryptic too. She says, You can go and not go. And to me, this meant, you know what, Morgan, you can do what I tried to do. You can stay here, which means you'll be gone. You'll be away from everyone. You'll be relatively safe, but you don't have to like go out on your own. You don't have to go 
to crazy town and, and be put in danger and stuff like that. Right. You can leave society, so to speak, but not leave at the same time. Well, this is the same thing that uh, I think it was Ezekiel said to Carol when she wanted to leave was that you can go, but not go right. Like you can go and be separate from us, but not have to, you know, walk the earth. Yeah. You can just, you know, camp out here, but still be gone. You'll be gone, but it'll also give you time to heal yourself a little bit, maybe, right? If you just need time to be on your own and contemplate <laughs> life and stuff like that, then you can do that here because Carol is going to return to the kingdom, which she does, and she finds Ezekiel and Henry starting to replant the burned out royal garden. They've got a plant or two underway there. Yep. And uh, she says that she's going to be here now and that they have to get ready to fight. Ezekiel agrees. So we know 100% that he's back or he's on board now. He says, we do have to fight, but not today. And then all three of them start tending to the garden. And we get what I thought was a really, really beautiful shot out of a broken window as they're just working on the garden and this nice music is playing, camera pans up through the window a little bit. I thought it was really, really nicely done. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just before the end, we cut back to Morgan. He is indeed at Carol's cottage, sitting out on the porch. Another really beautiful shot, actually. The camera's in the house looking out the open door at his back while he's sitting on the porch. He's sharpening his staff. So it is no longer a blunt instrument, but a sharp pointy one. Yes, he's making a point. He, he really is in more ways than one. Camera slowly uh, moving towards him very slowly. And it appears to me like he hears something because he turns his head to the side, kind of looks back, but then goes back to sharpening his stick and we cut to black. What does he hear? I don't know if he necessarily heard anything or if he's just on alert, you know, like he's keeping his guards wits about him, guard up wits about him to make sure he's okay. But, you know, the cynic in me was like, oh, he heard the cameraman creak the floor as he walked forward. But (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. I think he heard the crazy coming up behind him. He did Uh, a little bit. Yeah. So it's his, it's his paranoia that's, uh, that's creeping in there. You know how in Evil Dead you get the evil cam and it's like winding through the forest and it's coming at full speed oh, towards the cabin? Oh, don't remind me. <laughs> yeah, it's, that am- kind of thing. it's amazing. That's what he heard. He heard the evil coming up behind him. Oh, just reminds me of the last time I watched that movie, Evil Dead 2. It's a great movie. It is. It's been a long time and I've been kind of avoiding it. <laughs> okay, well, uh, <laughs> Ash versus Evil Dead has a little bit of that, but it also has a lot more. So that's it. Cut to Black episode is done. Um, I thought this was going to be a Carol episode, but it really turned out to be a Morgan episode. It uh, it was a little bit of both and a Richard episode. It, it was. Oh, yeah. Okay. You can't deny that it, was, it wasn't a Richard episode for sure, but this was about Morgan uh, changing again and in a way changing back to what he used to be, but not 100%. Uh, I think he's a little bit more less clouded in the head about sort of what he needs to do and what needs to happen right now. He tried the peaceful no killing thing for a while, but he's come back. Yeah. And I thought this was a great episode. What do you think? It was pretty good. And it was both Carol and Morgan that changed, right? So Carol's coming out of retirement and Morgan's coming out of uh, his uh, non-killing phase. Uh, so it, it's about change. It's about, you know, 
getting to into a state of mind where, and even what Richard was trying to do, it's about getting into a state of mind where you do what you got to do in order to safeguard the lives of the ones you love. Yeah, for sure. Um, this was written by Scott Gimple. <clears throat> I don't think he, he hasn't written an episode in a little while. And I thought he did a, a great, great job. I thought the story was cleverly told. It wasn't super obvious the way it, it played out. You know, you, you, they, they dropped in little bits of information throughout until it all kind of came together towards the end there. And to me, the story, I felt it really moved and paced, was paced really well without being sort of forced out of these characters. Uh, I thought it was all really natural for the most part. I think I said earlier, the only part that, that didn't work 100% for me was when Morgan goes back to the street and he has all his flashbacks and stuff. That felt like it happened a little quickly, you know, but maybe that kind of thing would happen quickly. He's suddenly got all this <laughs> brain activity going and it's all coming back to him, you know, all at once. So yeah, it's anger, it's grief, it's it's all these things. Uh, yeah. All coming, you know, coming, just washing over him in, uh, you know, short order. I'm, I'm sure it doesn't happen slowly in real life when you go a little bit crazy because of something, you know, hor horrific and tragic happens to you all of a sudden. I'm sure it's a, you know, a snap and, and rather than a, a slow burn. It just kind of comes to you. Yeah. Punches yeah. you in the face. Um, and I thought, I thought the acting, the performances were amazing all around, which you know, I'll be honest, has never really been a problem on this show. I think the acting is generally always quite good, but, you know, uh, Lenny James as Morgan, amazing, typically is. Carol, always really good. Uh, and Carl Mackinnon as, as Richard, you know, he's a guy, he's an actor I didn't know before this show, but he's been in quite a few things. Uh, and he, I don't feel like he's had really that much of an opportunity to really shine on the show until now. Unfortunately, it's the episode where he died, but boy, he did a good job. He did a good job. I'm sorry to see him go. Me too. It was a guy, it was a character I was really starting to like, you know, even though he had sort of extreme measures or he wanted to go to some extreme measures, I found that interesting. I found the actor doing a good job and I kind of wish we would get to see him lead the army into the battle, you know, because he would have been great at that. Yeah. So that's too bad. But he went out in a way, a hero, if you if you think that the kingdom joining the the fight is a good thing. So he, he sacrificed himself to try and help everyone else have a better life. He did. He knew what uh, he needed to do. And unfortunately, what he needed to do was to try and find a way to die. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, what about poor Ben though? Poor Ben was just uh, collateral damage in all of this. He wasn't supposed to get shot at all. Yeah. That's too bad. I figured he'd survive. I was surprised that he died. Yeah. In fact, I was in a way a little surprised too, when I think of the episode as a whole, because you'd think they'd, they'd, they'd shoot Ben, make us think he's going to die, but then he survives and you think, okay, no one's dying. And then out of nowhere, Morgan beats up Richard and actually kills him, right? That would yeah. be even more shocking at that point. Although I can't, uh, I can't say I saw that coming in any way. I know some of this episode was maybe a little bit predictable with some of the things that happened, but I have a hard time believing that, that anyone would predict that Morgan would attack Richard just in front of everybody like that. Yeah, no kidding. You know, so, so good episode. Uh, I don't know if this was, this might be the best one of the second half of season seven so far. 
and it's up there. I think this one is up there for, uh, for season seven, at least, you know, it's funny how the Morgan episodes tend to be really good. Well, Lenny James, man, anything he's in is good. <laughs> Lenny James, man. That's all you got to say. <laughs> yeah. I like this episode. I'm not sure I liked it as much as you did, but, uh, it, I do agree that it was one of the better ones of the second half of this season. And it was a lot better than last week. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, Bob. Yes, last sir. week didn't have any Lenny James. This one has lots of Lenny James. And what does that tell you? Yeah. Lenny James, man. Yeah. That's all you got to say. All right. It's time to take a quick break. When we come back, we will uh, play a scene in our Record Your Favorite Scene contest and read your holy crap moments. Stay tuned for all that. This episode is sponsored by Gato Negro. It's the perfect wine pairing for your favorite TV show, including The Walking Dead, which we are here to talk about, of course. So Jason, on the weekend this week, which we just finished, we went over to some friend's house for dinner. They invited us over for a little party, and I brought the Gato Negro wine with me. Oh, good. How'd it go over? It went over like gangbusters, as they say. <laughs> Which I'm awesome. not sure exactly what that means, but it went over really well. Uh, you know, we, we brought the bottle, they cracked it open, we all had some. I, of course, already knew it was great. Uh, but our friends, Naomi and Derek, shout out to you guys, thanks for having us over. They hadn't had the wine before, and they really enjoyed it too. I thought about recording their reaction and playing it here, but I also thought that might be a little uncomfortable for everybody. Yeah, nobody, not everybody wants to talk on the internet. I mean, no. it's, it's uncomfortable for a lot of people. It is, in, including us once in a while, but uh, not everyone wants to, to be heard like that. But suffice it to say, they really in, enjoyed the wine, and uh, I think we've got a couple of new converts over there, and I have a feeling they're going to be buying some. So, Awesome. That is great news for everybody involved. Uh, if you want to check out some Gato Negro wine, I recommend you do. You can find them on Instagram at instagram.com slash wine or visit their Facebook page at facebook.com slash Wine. You can sip the terror of your favorite TV series with Gato Negro wines. Gato Negro adored everywhere. All right, welcome back to the program, everybody. Uh, it's time to talk about our Record Your Favorite Scene contest really quickly here. In case you don't know, what we ask you to do is pick a scene from any episode of The Walking Dead, record it, or record yourself 
doing an interpretation of it. Use your phone, use your computer, use whatever you can, and uh, then send it in to us. At the end of season seven, we will, Jason and I, meaning by we, I mean Jason and I, will choose our favorite and you will win a uh, nice big prize pack. Just really quickly, some of the things off the top of my head that are in the prize box are a set of one to 10 Walking Dead comic trade paperbacks. That's pretty cool. That's cool. A t-shirt from Nick and Norman's restaurant in Sonoy, Georgia, which is a zombie face t-shirt that's kind of a parody of that Queen album cover that has their faces on it. Mm -hmm. Very cool shirt. Uh, I've got a Talking Dead t-shirt in there as well. Um, What else? Uh, Some random stickers. And, and a few other things. So I got to go look in the box and remind myself everything that's in there. Uh, a couple of things donated by listeners too, uh, which is cool. Like a, a DVD zombie movie that a listener worked on and some, uh, cool pins like lapel pins. So very cool, cool. stuff. Do you have like markers and maybe a pencil sharpener or something in there? Well, if you want to add that stuff, we can. Why not? Yeah, we can throw some stuff in. That'd be great. <laughs> I'm just going to clean out my house, get rid of some of the junk I don't want. Uh, <laughs> get hey, a whole drawer full it, of erasers. It's a, it's a prize. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, but there's there's good stuff in there. Uh, and you know you want to win that. You want to win a part of that. So record your favorite scene, get it into us. The winner will be announced a couple of weeks after season seven ends. And that is so let's say there's something in the season finale that you want to record. You will have a bit of time to do that and get it into us. Um, And just remember that recording quality does not really factor into our decision because we know not everyone can record a really high quality audio file. Depends on the, the gear you have. It's more about fun and originality and you know, your own unique take on it, things like that. So keep those uh, things in mind. I'm going to play an entry in the contest right now. This comes from Adam in Buffalo, New York. Well, when I was a kid, um, my mother told me a story. There was a road to a kingdom and there was a rock in the road and people would just avoid it but horses would break their legs on it and die. Wagon wheels would come off. People would lose the goods they'd be coming to sell. That's what happened to a little girl. The cask of beer her family brewed fell right off. It broke. Dirt soaked it all up and it was gone. That was her family's last chance. They were hungry. They didn't have any money. She just sat there and cried. But she wondered, why was it still there for it to hurt someone else? So she dug at that rock in the road with her hands till they bled used everything she had to pull it out. It took hours. And then, when she was going to fill it up, she saw something in it. It was a bag of gold. All right. The king had put that rock in the road because he knew the person who dug it out, who did something, they deserved a reward. 
They deserved to have their life changed for the good. Forever. Thank you, Adam, in Buffalo, New York, for that. That is, of course, Rick delivering his Rock in the Road speech to Ezekiel earlier this season when he's trying to convince Ezekiel to join the fight. Yeah. That weird story that Rick told. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Weird story. <laughs> but uh, that was great. Thank you, Adam, for that. If you want to get your entries in, record your favorite scene and send it to TalkingDeadPodcast at gmail.com. Holy crap. Did you see that? Okay, Jason, it's time for some holy crap. Did you see that moments? And our first one here is a call from Chris in Michigan. Hey, Chris and Jason. This is Chris from Michigan. Uh, A couple holy craps for you. The first is, holy crap, did you see Benjamin's death coming? Because I sure did. This show has used the model of build up minor character just to kill them off far too many times that it's become so predictable. You can tell episodes ago that Benjamin was just being built up as a tool to pull Ezekiel into the war. It's just made these deaths just so nonchalant. The only memorable death that was a bit of a shock to me recently was Glenn's death. You knew someone was going to die at that time with Abraham, but you just couldn't see the second death coming. You know, looking at some of the other shows that are on TV, you know, Vikings, Game of Thrones, deaths come out of nowhere and they're not afraid to kill off major characters. Those shows are successful. and I'm just not sure why Walking Dead continues to use the same model that they have. All right. Thanks, Chris, for that. So he saw Benjamin's death coming a mile away, he thinks. And while I can see his point, I didn't see Benjamin, Ben's death didn't play out the way I sort of expected it to, um, if I expected it at all, which, you know, I sort of did because he feels like a minor character and, you know, I felt like somebody was going to need to die, which would bring Ezekiel into this fight. Um, but the way they did it in this episode, I thought was pretty good. You don't know what's going to happen. And then they hit us with the twist of Richard dying as well, which to me sort of made the whole thing work pretty, pretty good, pretty well. It did work for me. And no, I didn't see uh, either of those deaths coming, frankly. At least not right away. Like, did you think Ben might be a goner at some point, but just not right now? Uh, Probably, but yeah, just not right now. Yeah. Richard, I thought was more... Uh, in line for dying at some point than uh, than Ben, in my mind. Hmm. Yeah, but I feel like Richard has been, the character's been introduced or built up a little bit slower uh, over more time than with uh, Ben. I mean, I know Ben's been in a few episodes and stuff, but he really came to the forefront in this one. Uh, but that whole idea of bringing someone to the forefront just to kill them off, yeah, The Walking Dead's been doing it for a long time. I think it does feel a little bit more uh, prominent these days. Maybe it sticks out a little bit more because that seems like that's all they're doing now. Uh, but as you know, Chris and Michigan said, they killed Glenn and they killed Abraham. Even We knew someone was going to die, but you can't say that they they built those characters up just to kill them off. They were main primary characters that were in most of the episodes. Absolutely. So I don't know. I I can see his point, but I think they managed to pull this off and the way they executed this one worked pretty well. Tom in Delaware, Ohio. Holy crap. Did you see the whole episode? Fans of the walking dead. It's time to quit your bitching. This was an excellent episode. I tip my hat to all involved. 
<laughs> I feel like he's speaking to us in particular. Oh, maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Quit your bitching. And uh, just enjoy this for what it is, you idiots. <laughs> yep. Deanne in Mississippi writes, holy crap, did you see how great an episode can be when the main cast characters aren't in it? <laughs> Lenny James, man. <laughs> you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Gemma in South Wales, UK. My holy crap moment was Benjamin. I knew that kid was a goner as soon as he had more lines, more story, and meaningful looks. Also, a gunshot to the leg killed him. We very rarely see that on the show. Carol survived numerous shots to her leg last year. I guess the bullet hit a main artery, or Carol has main character protection. Yeah, that femoral femoral artery in your leg is a big one. It is second only to the aorta, being shot in the heart. So uh, being... you know, shot in the leg and the inner thigh, up on the high, up high on the inner thigh. That's friggin' serious. Uh, what what's the one in your neck called? That's your uh, <laughs> your carotid artery. Right, 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 right. That's pretty bad too. Well, yes, because that one goes to your brain, and right, and the, the yeah. you know you'll bleed out pretty quick there. It's it's pretty big, but it's not as big as your femoral artery or your aorta. Okay, aorta. Aorta. <laughs> You'll get it. <laughs> <laughs> Big friggin' arteries. <laughs> yeah. Uh, BFAs. Uh, yeah. I mean, you get shot in the leg. He, they needed some pretty serious medical attention very quickly, which I guess they just couldn't get Ben that fast. So a uh, friend of the show, Adam in Texas writes, holy crap, Sophia, yo mama so tough. She can use a one-way sign to kill five walkers. Just in case any of us were worried Carol is getting rusty, she goes and pulls off the smartest, most badass zombie kill in a while. I loved it. Yeah. It was good. Why use that weapon that's in your hand when you could find a sign lying on the ground and touch zombies with it? Well, come on. You don't want to risk getting a couple, two or three on you at a time, right? I you mean, gotta... you can still climb that tree which, with handy uh, a handy platform and uh, a ladder, uh, you know, attached to it. That's all well and good. Uh, you know, swing, you got, you got that, uh, that, you got to reach down you with the that? sign. You're too high up. The, the machete, you can't reach. Machete. That's it. I was trying to think Hitachi. No, it's not a Hitachi. It's a, it's a machete. <laughs> totally different. Yes. Very different. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you think she could reach down with the Hitachi and hit the zombies? Uh, I'm sure it has some reach. <laughs> okay. I'm not sure enough. I think the sign was a pretty clever way to do it, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, you know, sharpen it up, make it into a spike, but it just, it, anyway, I did not like the sign. I did, I thought it was kind of just, in, there was, she does not applying enough force to actually hurt zombies or anybody. I don't care how soft their heads are. If they're made out of paper mache and, you know, I've seen, uh, paper mache, uh, pinatas that took a lot more damage than, uh, than these skulls do. Oh yeah. We've had a couple pinatas at birthday parties at this house and uh, you can hit those suckers pretty hard before they explode in a avalanche of candy. Yeah. They're, I think they're designed in such a way that uh, the kids have to uh, swing quite hard so that viral videos uh, of hilarity can be posted to Facebook. Well, I'm sure the reason is so that all the kids get a turn, but it's also so that they can hit their dads in the balls and stuff like that. Exactly. With the right bat. In the noodle. Right in the noodle. <laughs> or the noodles. <laughs> or something. Uh, well, maybe Heather in Kansas City, you'll uh, agree with more. She writes, holy crap, did you see Carol walking past the one-way sign? I think for her, there was only one way this episode was going to, to end. 
And that is her rejoining the battle. That's right. There's only one way, and Morgan and Carol have to get on board with that uh, with that one way. Yep. Frank on the internet writes, Holy crap, the saviors are doomed. Carol has been activated. While this does have me excited for her return, I think ultimately she is going for her last hurrah. I'm thinking after this, she either gets killed fighting or takes to the road permanently. She has probably had the most interesting journey of all the characters. She has. I like Carol. Yeah, me too. And uh, I think Frank is right. I think she'll probably either die or after this, she'll just walk off into the sunset and we'll never see her again. Yeah, she'll head off to the Smithsonian and then uh, swing by the White House and hang out there for a while. She's going to be president. <laughs> president Carol. Right. Uh, I... For some reason, even though for the most part, I feel like having a character leave the show without being killed off is probably wouldn't work for the vast majority of characters. For some reason, I feel like having Carol do that would be okay. And maybe it's because they've conditioned me into thinking that with all this, like living on her own for a while. Well, we've never had that happen, right? Somebody no. just leave. No. Well, we had Morales leave in season one. Yeah, but you know <laughs> that really, was different. Didn't, didn't really, really care leave a, hero. a whole lot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that if uh, if Carol just left, I think that'd be cool because then they could bring her back, and she could be wearing like power armor or something when she comes back, and have like a bazooka or something. I yeah, think she could come back and save the day out of nowhere like she did before. One more time, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jillian on our Facebook page wrote, holy crap, did you see Morgan completely lose his shit on Richard? That was epic. And now our fight is coming together with Carol and the kingdom on board. So that is cool. Uh, Chris on the internet, holy crap, Morgan's strangling Richard to death. They totally could have just faked that death scene. Out of all fake deaths, that one would be easiest to act out. So maybe Richard's still alive. Maybe he's just faked getting strangled. <laughs> Maybe, but he's buried now, so that's going to be tough. And had a knife in his head. <laughs> oh, and the knife. Don't forget the knife in the head. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, you know, if he is still alive, uh, I think I Morgan, bullshit. Morgan took it a little too far. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, yeah, I, I guess they could have faked that death. I'm not sure it would have worked. Yeah. Uh, Sally on the internet writes, holy crap, the king is on board. Well, I sort of figured this would happen. It was very satisfying to get there. I was also glad to see crazy Morgan come on board and decide he needs to kill every savior too. So this goes back to what we were talking about before. Sally seems to think he was going out to kill all the saviors. I think he was going out to just continue clearing walkers. Um, but we might never know for sure. You know, he might be one of those megalomaniacal, uh, crazy people now that just wants to go kill everybody. Maybe he wants to be the last man on earth and he's just going to systematically kill everything that moves for the rest of his life. Mm, yeah, he could be, he might not discriminate. You, yeah, living you, or dead. You walk around, I'm killing you. Everybody dies. Noop J on the internet writes, holy crap, did you see the blood spot on the white sheet? It was exactly where Benjamin's head would be. They covered Benjamin after he died, but they added the, de the added detail tells us that they also dispatched him to keep him from becoming a walker. It was a nice subtle touch, most likely for the nitpickers like us. And I mean that as a compliment. <laughs> yeah. Yep. No, I agree. That's, it is a nice touch. I didn't catch that. 
Good one. Yeah, well, you got to put a knife in their head. Can't just leave them there. Uh, okay, Bedell on the internet writes, Holy crap, shopping carts do, in fact, make an amazing barricade. They are tough as a brick wall and easily assembled or disassembled. My first job in high school was at a Walmart, where we tried a pretty stupid stunt involving a similar barricade and a 1989 Honda Civic. <laughs> Let's just say the Civic didn't win. I'm sure Jason has an amazing story beginning with back in the 90s and ending with a shopping cart barricade. If so, do tell. Uh, I don't have a shopping cart barricade story. Uh, I don't really have a shopping cart story. I've never ridden into it in a shopping cart at any speed. I've never uh, used shopping carts for any nefarious activities. Uh, no, I don't have a shopping cart story. All right. Well, there's still time. There's still time. You know, you know it's snowing now, but, uh, you know, maybe next week sometime I'll uh, go see what I can do at the local Walmart. <laughs> sure. Why not? Uh, Brad of the Dead in Osaka, Japan, but from Melbourne, Australia says, holy crap, who says in one foul swoop anymore? Outside of high school theater, I'm referring to Richard's line about taking all the saviors out in one foul swoop. <laughs> What's with the writers giving Richard shitty lines? Did he say that or one fell swoop? Uh, good question. I don't know. Brad wrote one foul swoop, but the expression is fell swoop, isn't it? Yeah. And, and I use it all the time. Yeah. But I write my own shitty lines. <laughs> You're your own <laughs> shitty dialogue writer. That's right. I don't have my shitty lines vetted by a team of professionals. Yeah. I just write my own lines. Often I wish I had writers yep. that would work on, uh, you know, stuff that I would talk like now? You'd be way more successful in life. I'd be way more successful. The only problem is that uh, I've decided that if I'm going to have a writer, they need to write all of the parts, not just my part. Uh -huh. They need to write all the parts, which makes me think that I shouldn't have a writer because I'd have, I have to give out scripts every time I go to a meeting mm. and people don't like that. <laughs> Here, you say this, I'll little, say this. Yeah, a little awkward. It'll be a good meeting, but I don't think we'll get anywhere. Well, you'll make progress for you personally. Yeah, great for me. But. There you go. Uh, anyways, I, I know the phrase too. Um, I sometimes use it. It's, uh, I guess you and I uh, took a, learned a lot in high school theater class, Jason. I never took theater in high school. I wish I kind of did. Yeah, neither did I. Anyways, <laughs> John in Deal, Kent, UK. Did you see the handwriting on the grave marker looks to be the same as the infamous don't dead open inside message on the hospital doors in the pilot? Was Richard at the hospital before he got to the large camp he mentioned? No, can't have been him. He was into doing nothing back then, apparently. <laughs> it, is, it does, uh, in retrospect, it does look the same, doesn't it? I compared the two. I looked at the episode and found the image online. It's not identical, but... If you were going to say that that was a handwritten sign, it does look like it would be written by the same person well, or the same graphic designer who used a font that he customized a little bit from one to the other. Yeah. We'll have to let it slide, I think. I think so. I think so. But, you know, one of those fun things to point out. Uh, James, finally, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, writes, Holy crap, the Weevil Girl was annoying. I am willing to buy a grown man keeping a pet tiger and proclaiming himself king, but you're telling me this woman has never been near Shiva before? <laughs> so so he's saying, I'm willing to buy that a guy can keep a tiger and be king, yep. 
But someone afraid of that tiger? No way. I'm telling you, she got closer to that tiger than I ever would have. No way. So, And she pooped her pants a lot less than I would have. <laughs> yeah, which is good for the show. Yeah. She did say she pissed herself, though. So, well, you know, to each, to each their own. I suppose, yeah. All right, that's uh, it for Holy Craps. Thank you to everyone who wrote in with those. In the future, if you uh, notice something in an episode that makes you jump up off your couch and say, holy crap, did you just see that? Whether you're watching in a room full of people or not, uh, write it down in an email and send it to us, and maybe I'll read it here during the podcast. Cool. Uh, Okay, so that's it, Jason. We will be back on Thursday night to do our feedback follow-up show, and uh, that should be fun. I'm looking forward to getting some more... Uh, we've got some already, of course, but just getting some more reaction from people about how they felt about this episode and if they liked it as much as I did or as much as you did or not at all. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, but that will be fun. That's coming Thursday night, of course. And uh, if you want to get in touch with us in the meantime, you can visit TalkingDeadPodcast.com. Click on Send Voicemail to send us a message. You can also tweet at us on Twitter at Talking Dead or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the Talking Dead and send all your emails to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again to Gato Negro for sponsoring the podcast. Check them out at their social media pages, Gato Negro Wine on Instagram and Gato Negro Wine on Facebook. And uh, leave us an iTunes review if you want. Check out the iTunes store, find us in there and leave us a a glowing review that would be wonderful helps uh, helps iTunes helps us move up the charts and helps them take notice and you know one of the things they like to do around big episodes as we get towards the end of the season 7 here is feature relevant podcasts and we've been featured before in their like walking dead section but it's always cool to do that or have that happen so a few more reviews couldn't hurt all right jason that's all i've got do you have anything else I don't have anything else, Chris. You do not have anything else. Well, in that case, we'll see you guys all on Thursday. Send in your feedback. Until then, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye.